0: Welcome today. My name is Randy, and um, I, I feel really loud right now. I don't know if that's a reaction or what, but uh, I'm really glad you're here today, and uh, we are, uh, we're in a really neat series, and what I'm seeing is that God does some really cool things um, among you, which I want to see more and more of. That's uh, love it whenever, whenever things happen kind of organically and on uh, and a grassroots level, and this idea of discipling, and I, I agree 100% with Eric um, that uh, parents, we got to step up. Uh, we got to step into that uh, leadership role, discipling our children, and it makes all the difference in the world, not only for their eternity, but also for the current uh, as well, because uh, when you got kids that are following the Lord, they're going to get in a lot less trouble everywhere else. Uh, so let me encourage you on that. Well, guys, um, we're in our third se- uh, sermon on this series about like Jesus, and And I was thinking in a series, you know, uh, uh, as uh, um, Jake said earlier, we try to have a social media presence, and it's amazing how social media affects most of our lives today and the habits that we've developed, things that we don't even think about. You know, I don't know about you, and I'm not a—I do some Facebook, uh, just kind of see what everybody else is doing basically, but, you know, when you look at Facebook, you scroll through the post, you know, until you see one you identify with, something that makes you laugh. Uh, something that makes you remember, you want the person to know that you happen to see it and you agree with it, some way to show that you acknowledge that. What do you do? Uh, you click on the little thumbs up, right? The little like sign there, you click on that. And uh, we do that a- a- all the time and to, to show our affirmation. Well, I was wondering, where did that come from? You know, who originated that? So I did a little research, and in the late 2000s, when Facebook was becoming pretty popular, a young lady named Leah Perlman was a young employee, and they wanted to fix what they called the redundant problem. They were always working you know, on this and trying to make it better, but they had what they called a redundant problem. And here's what caused that is when someone would write maybe, hey, we're getting married, and all the comments that would come down would be, uh, the only way you could respond was to comment by saying, hey, congratulations. So you got a whole line of congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. And, and they thought that was kind of aesthetically kind of ugly. Uh, uh, plus, every time somebody did say something meaningful beyond that, it was kind of hard to find through, you know, a hundred different uh, comments of congratulations. And so they decided, you know, we need a button, something that people can just hit the button to acknowledge that. And so they tried the bomb. You know, you heard, that's the bomb, the bomb when that didn't go over. Uh, and there were probably some old hippies that said, hey, let's put Groovy on there. That would be great. Uh, or maybe cool, or something like that. But finally, they settled on a button they called like with the thumbs up. So now, that's kind of how that originated, so you click that button to like that. But you know, I was thinking, that's a pretty non-committal way to respond to something, isn't it? I mean, we can go, we can like a lot of things. You, you, just, you Surely, uh, you can like something and be indifferent and, and do nothing about it. And so, in this series that we're in now called Like Jesus, we're talking about doing something more than just giving lip service to Jesus. We're talking about taking the next step on our spiritual journey. We're talking about becoming a disciple. We want to use that language, I think, uh, who in turn makes other disciples as well through parenting, through inviting our friends who are not believers, through investing in young believers that that are around us, but, but taking the next step and discovering that as we help people grow, we grow more ourselves. In fact, that is the step that many of us need to take because a lot of us are still looking to be fed And it's time that we ought to be feeding others. And when we feed others, we automatically are going to grow in our own walk. And what that means is that we need to get to know Jesus better. We need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to disciple or develop a relationship with him and be like Jesus. We We want to like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to friend Jesus, follow Jesus, and share Jesus. So I want to encourage you to become a fan, change your profile, make him your number 1 favorite, put Jesus on your Pinterest board, have him in all your selfies, comment daily on what he means to you, tweet him for the whole world to know, make him your most descriptive GIF, hashtag him for all your friends to make sure he's no meme. He is always live streaming, he's always trending. It's about all the social media stuff I got, you know? All right, it's all I can come up with. All right. So, To make that happen in our lives, we're going to take a a few weeks here to look at how Jesus made disciples. And I don't know if you ever noticed, and I have to acknowledge, even though I've studied the Bible quite a while, I have never really noticed that the process and the progress of Jesus' ministry with his disciples was actually a model for us to use in discipling others. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but you look at what Jesus did with his disciples, and it is a great way for us to uh, relate to him and to make a pattern of our own discipling. It really makes sense, doesn't it? And last week, we said we began, or two weeks ago, we began by saying that Jesus was relational, that you can't disciple people from a distance, you can't parent from a distance, you can't have a relationship from a distance if you're really going to make an impact on people's lives, that it has to be up close. Jesus selected a few people, and then he totally invested himself in them for a few years. And, and really, he made sure that they knew him as a person, and he knew them. He was relational. We also saw last week that Jesus was very intentional, that Jesus was intentional and focused and disciplined to only do the things that would accomplish his mission and glorify his Father. He didn't get waste time doing things that, that were on the edge. He just did the things that centered people on, on the Father. He took him on mission trips and fishing trips to show them how that we would really become a disciple. And so now we come now to the latter part of Jesus' life. At the end of his life, in, in John chapter 17, Jesus is in a garden. He is deep in prayer with his disciples. He's knowing that his enemies were planning his arrest and his death. Probably even while he was praying, he knew that they were gathering forces and coming to find him in the night. And then J.R. John records some well, what some call the greatest chapter in the Bible. John chapter 17, it is kind of a culmination, kind of a summary of what Jesus' life was all about with his disciples, with his ministry, his relationship with his Father. He's talking to his Heavenly Father. He's speaking of what he has prioritized with his disciples. And, and other people call this the high priestly prayer. You know, Jesus is our high priest. The book of Hebrew talks a lot about that, that Jesus is our priest. And, and while we don't think a lot about that in context today in our world, in our, our, our faith setting Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who goes to the Father for us. The Old Testament pattern was a high priest and a priest system where the high priest kind of led the other priest, and daily they went and they offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people so that their sins might be forgiven. But Jesus replaced that entire system because he came as the ultimate high priest, whereas they had to make sacrifices every day, not only for themselves, but for other people. Jesus made one sacrifice. And so this is the high priestly prayer. He's praying it for his disciples and for you and I as well. In this prayer, he lists seven disciplines of a disciple maker. Seven disciplines of a disciple maker, and we're going to share those in the next few weeks. And I tell you these because regardless of where we are on our faith journey, we should all be investing in the lives of other people. And these are the practical ways that we can do that. I want to get beyond just a a concept and an idea and just a general statement. I want us to know how do we literally, how do we make disciples? And watching Jesus' life, Jesus' process, his progress in, in leading his disciples is a great way for us to learn as well. He is the perfect model. And sometimes, you know, we think we don't know what to do. We don't know how to go about it, and that's what this series is all about. It's a practical way to say this is how we're going to make disciples, and we're going to be like Jesus in making more disciples for Him. So those seven disciplines that we see in there, I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we'll break them down over the next few weeks. But the first of all, there is reveal, that God is revealed to us through Christ, and we reveal God to others. Speak. We want to speak, give the words that God gives to us, give those to others. We want to pray for one another. We want to protect one another, send out people into the kingdom, sanctify, which means to make holy, and we want to share Jesus with others. Those are the seven things. And again, if you didn't write them down, that's fine. We'll talk about them over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to begin that by talking about how that Jesus revealed His Father to His disciples and how we can reveal Him to others today. In John chapter 17, like I mentioned a few moments ago, it says this, After Jesus had said these things, He looked toward heaven and He prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to to all those You have given Him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now in this scripture, Jesus is talking about finishing the work that God had given him to do. So what has he done? He hasn't died yet, so obviously he is not finished his redemptive work that would only be concluded after you had died upon the cross, which was coming in the next couple of days. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about two things of, that God assigns for us. First of all, is the will of God. We said the will of God is redemption or salvation for us and for others. And then there's also the work of God. And the work of God is that we go and make disciples. So when Jesus said, The Father, I have finished the work you have sent me to do, what he's talking about is making disciples. And at this point, it it was all completed. The disciples were ready to go. They didn't know it. They didn't realize it. The Holy Spirit hadn't totally come upon them at this point, but he had made them and brought them to the place where he knew he could release them, and they would take the kingdom to the next level. And Jesus said, through this work that I've been doing, I have glorified the Father. So if Jesus brought glory to his Father by by making disciples, then guys, we do the same thing when we make disciples. If we want to bring glory to God, it's going to all be about reproducing our faith, multiplying our efforts and our energy, whether that be in a family, as parents, whether it be among friends, uh, within the church setting, wherever it is that we focus on investing and making disciples. And then Jesus immediately goes into a prayer for his disciples. This is pretty well known. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, Jesus said. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So Jesus said, these men were gifts that you gave to me. They belong to you, but you gave them to me, and I've invested in them. I want you to think about that a little bit, because I don't know about you, but as a parent, I am convinced that my kids were gifts that God gave to me. He gave me these four incredible kids And I had a responsibility and the pleasure of raising them up and and discipling them to become mature Christians and adults. And if you have kids they are a gift from God, value them in that way. But I want you to go beyond that and think that I believe God puts people in our lives who are gifts to us, people that we have influence with, people that we have opportunity to impact and make a difference. Look at people as gifts, not as burdens, not as a responsibility, that you laid them the duty, that look at them as gift from God. And when you look at them in that way, you begin to think, okay, if that's a gift from God, how do I use this well? And Jesus said, you gave me these men as a gift and I revealed you to them. And the word that Jesus used here is the word that means to openly manifest, to present or to appear. That I want you to see who God is. I want you to reveal, uh, be God to be revealed to you. And that's what Jesus did when you think about it. You know, God has made us with a, with a human heart that longs inner, inwardly to know God. And God chose to reveal himself to us. He doesn't want to be hidden. He, he doesn't desire for us to be confused about who he is. He wants to, to know who God is. And so he's done that in several ways. One way he's done that is in the world and through the world. In, in Romans chapter 1, it says, God has revealed his existence, his divine power, and His divine nature through the world it's created. I mean, you walk out this morning, and you see the beauty of creation. There is no way in the world you can say, "Oh, this is just an accident. This just is a bang." You know, millions of years ago, and all this happened. There, that's insane. It's ridiculous to think that. You know, honestly, we see the world, the creation that God's made, and we see His beauty, His creativity. We see His His, His strength, His power. God's revealed Himself through all those things. Another way that God reveals Himself is through our conscience, through our inner being inside of us. Romans chapter 2 says He has revealed His moral nature through this conscience that all people have. Until our consciences become blunted or, you know, kind of hardened by the world and by sin, we have a sensitivity to God because God's put a part of Himself in us. we become followers of Christ. We have His Holy Spirit inside of us that our consciences are softened and we are aware and we know about the power and the authority of God. A third way God reveals Himself is through His Word. Hebrews chapter 1 says, "...in the past God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways." Go back in the Old Testament, you see that God speaks a lot. You see that God is going to speak, He's going to talk through men like Abraham and Moses, He's going to give His Word. He's going to give you know, leadership and faith and teach us all those things. Then Later on, God speaks to people like the prophets, like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, the whole list of prophets in the Old Testament. The Bible was written over 1,500 years, 40 different inspired human authors, that God spoke through them through His Word. But the Bible goes on to say, "...but in these last days He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe..." The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So what does the writer say? He says that now in the last days, in our days, that the Son of God is God's final revelation to us, that Jesus is the revelation of God. In fact, Jesus is called the Word of God because He reveals the heart of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. What does it say that God the Son left heaven for a little while to come to our earth to make God visible and knowable? In the Old Testament, we see a picture of God, a vivid picture, but he's seen as kind of an almighty and a kind of a sovereign king of some sort, a little bit distant, a little bit uh, uh, fearful in, in our minds. But when Jesus came, he revealed the heart of God. In the New Testament, God is seen as a loving, graceful, merciful, heavenly Father who has compassion upon his children and that's poured out through the person of Jesus Christ. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, we see all this only in the context of the Trinity. uh, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, understanding the Trinity of God is one of those huge things that we have to kind of absorb, kind of understand, assimilate before we can take our next step on our journey and, and move in Jesus Christ. Because we can't separate Jesus from God, because Jesus reveals God to us. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to pull out a few of those phrases that we read a few moments ago about Jesus and how he's described there. The Bible says there that he is the radiance of God's glory. He makes God shine for us. Even in a human form, Jesus shone the glory of God out. He is the exact representation of God's glory. He shows us the character of God. Jesus was perfect. He goes on to say he sustains all things by his powerful word. The word of God, the Bible, sustains all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the glue of our world. Have you, ever heard, um, have you ever heard of a scientific term called the God particle? Ever heard of that God particle? It's also called the, the Higgs bosom. And the Higgs bosom or the God part- particle is this unidentified particle that holds mass together. Now, I know very little about this subject, this kind of fascinates me a little bit. It's, what is it? What is the glue that holds the universe together? Scientists believe that, men, if we can just find that, that God particle, that unknown particle that holds it all together, then we'll understand all the mysteries of the universe. And it's kind of interesting that Peter, Biggs, uh, Peter Higgs, for whom this is actually named, he is not amused by calling it a God particle because he's an avowed atheist, uh, but he, he doesn't like that. Uh, but, uh, but he says, you know what, there is something that they will eventually find that holds the world together. But I want to tell you, the Bible tells us what that particle is. That particle is Jesus. Jesus is the God particle that holds everything together. And that says that he is the one that holds all things who are created. Jesus did that. He is the center of all of creation. He goes on to say he provided purification for sins. That Jesus, when he came here in in, in human form, God in human form, suffered and died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God. He paid the penalty for the sins of the entire fallen creation. And do you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago before Easter? It says that on the cross, the last thing Jesus said, it was finished. It is finished because he had finished it. And then what does it say? It says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Why did he sit down? He sat down because the will of God had been accomplished and the work of God was finished as well. His high priest work was done. Remember, a few moments ago, I said that that in the Old Testament system, the high priest and the priest they spent all of their time making sacrifices. You know, if you look at the uh, tabernacle and the temple, there are no chairs listed in the tabernacle and temple. I mean, you've got the the laver where you wash your hands. You've got the altar where you sacrifice the candlesticks, the Ark of the Covenant. You've got all these different things, but there's never mention of a chair because there was no time to sit down, because people were sinning all the time, and they were constantly making sacrifice for the sins. But you know what? Jesus did it one time. It was finished. And so what did he do? He went and sat down because his work was done. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That is pretty cool. His work was done. And his redemption work and his work in revealing God to his disciples was accomplished. And so he went back to the Father and he sat down. But you know what? I think he didn't sit very long because now it says that he is preparing a place for us called heaven that will be for all of those who become disciples, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he has done that and now entrusted the mission to you and I. Because here's what I want you to get today, is that disciple-making is actually just revealing God to people. Disciple-making is just revealing God to people. Now we can show them God through our life, we can share through our message, through what we say, we can't force them to accept Christ who is the revelation of God, but we can present him in all of his glory and let them make an informed decision. And you know what? It's not really on us after that. Our responsibility as parents is to to bring our kids up to know the Lord. When they get old enough, they have to make that decision. Our responsibility to our friends who are not believers is just talk to them about Christ. and, And we can't go any farther. We can't make them do anything. But we want them to know so they have the chance to respond. And the Bible says, for all of those who accept Him, we are to relationally and intentionally invest in them to help them grow and develop as disciples. You see, Jesus was the bridge from heaven to earth, to come down to reveal God to us. And now you and I are the bridge from others to him. Because as we make Jesus known to people, so in turn will God be known. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave us a way to come to God and a way to show God to other people. So as we follow his example and reveal God to others, there are two facets of that. Two things about God, we have to be honest with people and show them. And here there, we find them in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. There are two things we have to make sure people get about God, and that is the grace of God and the truth of God. Amen. And you know what? These two things might seem to be on opposite sides, but they are not enemies. They're not enemies because they reveal the true character of God. And if we're going to reveal God to people, both of them are equally necessary. Both of them must be held in tension. Both of them are held in balance, but they both have to be shared equally. And let me tell you why. Because truth without God is how many of us were raised. Truth without grace is how many of us grew up. And that's a wrong presentation. Truth without grace is mean-spirited. Truth without grace he, uh, kind of beats up on people all the time. You beat people up with truth, but you don't ever give them any, any real grace. Truth without grace lacks love. Truth without the gospel repels people away from them. Truth without grace tends to scare the hell out of people, literally. That's what, that's what you're trying to do. And that's not what God wants us to do, really. Truth without grace ceases to be the gospel because the gospel is good news. The good, the good news is grace, Right? And truth without that ceases to be what the gospel is. But on the other hand, let me just say this, that grace without truth is a problem as well. And, and unfortunately, that's how many churches teach today. It's also wrong. Grace without truth lacks honesty with people. You're not being honest when you, when you just show the grace of God without the truth of God. Grace without truth chooses not to confront sin. Just ignore it. Grace without truth is being nice at the expense of being real. Grace without truth waters down the gospel because grace without truth eventually ceases to be the gospel because it ceases to point people toward the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we have to understand, when Jesus came, he showed us the grace of God, but also the truth of God as well. The truth was seen in the Old Testament, the law of God, but when Jesus came, He brought the mercy of God to balance that, and we got to keep those together. And the reality is that most of us tend to tip the scales toward one or the other. Most of us tend to be a truther or a gracer, to be honest. And I would say in my life, I probably tend to be a truther more, probably tend to do that, and I have to kind of season my, my life with, with grace. Grace. Maybe you tend to be a gracer more. You tend to gloss over the truth. And so you got to balance that. Whatever your natural tendency is, you have to learn to reveal where you need to become more like Jesus, more like him in grace or in truth, whatever it might be, to find the tension and the balance of that because our discipling has to be full of grace and truth. And our conversations with other people should be full of grace and truth because if not, we're not revealing the true character of God to people. And that's dishonest to them. It's not being faithful to what God called us to do. So as you think about investing in people, I want to encourage you to ask, him, uh, ask God to help you become more like Jesus by, by balancing the two together, to fully understand who Jesus is, and in so doing, to understand who God is more as well. So this morning, I want to ask you, uh, who are you revealing God to? Who are you being God to? Do you realize that you are the only Jesus that some people will ever know? But they'll never know, they'll never have a relationship with a person uh, in the the unique setting that you may be in where they see Jesus clearly, the true Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so that's a big responsibility. It may be in your workplace, the toughest place. It might be, you know, with your spouse who may not be a believer. It could be with your children that you're trying to to raise up in the right way. It could be uh, with a neighbor or, or just someone that you casually run into. You understand that you are the only Jesus some people will ever see, and you're revealing Jesus to them. What kind of job are you doing? But even beyond that, who should you be investing and truly revealing Christ to as well? And in so doing, how do you need to be more like Jesus? Because it's not enough to just be like Him. We have to be, not not just enough to, to like Him, because we all like Jesus, we have to be sold out to Him totally surrendered unto him. And so this morning, that would be my invitation to you, that if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to have that conversation and help you take the next step on your journey. And if you've been a Christian for a while, even a short while, can I just encourage you to start thinking about who can I pour into? Instead of thinking about yourself just being, I need to teach me, and I need people to tell me and invest in me, start investing in somebody else. Don't make your focus as a Christian, just what can I learn, but instead, what can I turn around and communicate to others and disciple other people? And that's a big challenge for a lot of us, to be honest. It kind of breaks the mold of what God's called us to do and be, because really, we are not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. And I hope that you're doing that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word, how relevant it is today in, in our world Uh, God, we don't ever want to think that the Bible is outdated or that the Bible is uh, irrelevant to to what we're living in because, God, you speak clearly to everything that we have. There's nothing new that comes up that surprises you. So, Lord, I pray that that as we um, get to know you better, as we grow in you, God, as we uh, discover who Jesus is and get a clearer picture in our life, that, Lord, we'll be challenged to turn that around and begin to share that with others. That we'll never be uh, guilty of just accumulating knowledge in our, in our mind that we, that we do nothing with. But instead, Lord, it would impact our lives and impact the lives of other people. And God, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through Jesus. Lord, may we know him so well that it's our passion of our heart to, to show him to others. We live our life doing so. Help us to be disciples who make disciples. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.